0: You're listening to The 123 Show with me, Noreen Mir on this Tuesday afternoon. And since it's Tuesday, we're going to be talking about food. Now, Hong Kong is, as we know, a renowned financial centre. And it's also a food paradise. But a shocking number of marginalised groups are still in need of food assistance. And in the next 15 minutes or so, we'll be hearing about a special Chinese New Year food drive. And we'll be chatting with Daisy Tam, the founder of Breadline and Hong Kong Foodworks. Now, Daisy is also a food security researcher and an assistant professor at the Hong Kong Baptist University. Thank you very much for joining us this afternoon, Daisy. It's great to see you. How are you doing?
1: Very well, thank you. And uh, yeah, it's always a pleasure to be on the show with you.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. And, you know, you um, for our listeners, you can also have the chance to see and hear Daisy as well. Um, just hop onto Facebook. Noreen Mir on RTHK Radio 3 is the page to go to. Now, Daisy, y- you wear many hats. Uh, one of them is the founder of Hong Kong Foodworks. Can you share with us some of the work you do there?
1: Um, yeah, so... Hoko Foodworks is a website basically that I started um, to share some of the academic research that I do to a wider audience. because over casual conversations with friends and catch up, I realized that a lot of people are interested in the subject. And I kept, uh, I find myself keeping um, to, to sort of explain and then talk about the food system and how we can think beyond our immediate uh, plates in front of us. So that's why I started Hong Kong Food Works and where I um, regularly update uh, the, the, the website.
0: As an academic, I'm sure this is your area of research. How do you sort of digest all the information you research and then um, share it with with, with the people who look at your website and also turn your research into impact uh, for the society?
1: Yeah, I think this is always... That's why it's always great to talk to people who are not from um, the field. I think when you find yourself... Uh, explaining what you do to other people, um, you find yourself having to really distill what you what you're doing, and you lose all the jargon, and and you just try to explain as in, in the most sort of concise way possible um what you do. And it was for me like a really good exercise. Um really hard as well because you know so often you kind of talk in this mumble jumble which is full of academic jargons so and then people will be, you know, you'd lose them in one second. What does that um, mean? yeah yeah like what are all these sort of like crazy words um but um by 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 being able to do so i think yeah so having um the training or the the, the just the desire to communicate with more people out there about what i do um was a very good uh training and then also um I think the second thing is that acad- academia or academics always have this chip on their shoulder where they are accused of staying in their ivory towers. Um, and, and you know, I think academia is trying very hard to steer us away from that, um, which is why impact research is such a big thing at the moment. But on a more positive note, I think we respond it's not so much the stick, but more the carrot, I think, you know, academia is also responding to the new research that is, that that we are doing, you know, that um, so many of us, so many academics are working with um, um, real social issues and trying uh, to implement and intervene and um, changes, uh, so I think that, yeah, academic research is also responding to this turn and so food in itself is a really wonderful topic because it just automatically lends itself to working with communities. Um, I've always uh, worked with uh, charities and community organizations, particularly around uh, food rescue.
0: Yeah, Um, I have to say, Daisy, knowing you for for so many years now and and following the work that you do, um, I I really believe you're the kind of academic that really rolls the sleeves up and really gets your hands dirty and, and you know, you, you really put what you find out uh, into action. Um, I follow your work um, and, I, and I, a lot of the times I see your post and there are alarming things that come to mind when it comes to food security, especially in Hong Kong. And it's not something that we really think about. Um, what many of us don't really think about um, access to food, the availability to food, because we're very fortunate. But that's not really the case for many marginalized groups that you work with. I know that uh, Hong Kong Food Works teams up with a lot of different uh, charities in Hong Kong, such as uh, Impact Hong Kong. They work with uh, homeless people here in Hong Kong. Um, tell us about some of the, the work that you've done, um, uh, say during covid
1: Right. So um, under the umbrella of Hong Kong Food Works, which is where I share my research, I also have a very specific platform called Breadline, where I collaborate with um, local food rescue charities such as Foodlink to collect bread and, and donate it to uh, beneficiary organisations such as Impact Hong Kong. Um, then that then that then takes them and serves uh, the homeless. Um, during COVID, it's been hard because i think a lot of uh, a lot of donors are uh, are worried about um, the pandemic situation so have rolled back or at least uh, temporarily stopped their donations since august so you know food rescue yeah. is ultimately it's an operation that Works on surpluses and excess, and so when that tap sort of turns off, um, then you're left with a lot less resources uh, to to work with, and I think that's the same for um, the Hong Kong, the urban food system. Um, in a way, you know, Hong Kong is a very rich cosmopolitan city, as you say. You know, we we are the gourmet capital of Asia, or however we want to position it. Um, and that's the same for a lot of urban uh, capitals. But in these kind of situations, precisely, is that the the um, the wealth gap is huge. So on the one hand, we have a lot of very wealthy, uh, prosperous uh, individuals, but we also have a huge chunk of society who are in need. So in Hong Kong. Roughly about twenty percent um, of the population live in poverty, and for them to access food uh, requires uh, an amalgamation of um, being adaptive and 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 clever about the way they shop. Um, perhaps going to the the end-of-the-day sales or things like that, and uh, combined with that, uh, assistance from charities and local organizations. And so these are where a lot of the food rescue organizations donate to, right? So with charity drives, with uh, rescued food, um, these help uh, low-income families uh, get by.
0: Yeah, maybe let's back up a little bit and perhaps um, maybe, Daisy, you can put on your academic hat and and sort of highlight um, the components of food security or or insecurity. You know, so why are these groups sort of unable to have access to their food? Can you share with us the the sort of components of food security? And so just to put it into mind for some of our listeners, um, the the criteria for them.
1: Um, Right. Yeah, that's that's really a good question um, because food security is not only just food safety, which is what most people uh, confuse the term with. Food security is um, mainly about three 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 things. Uh, the first index is availability. The second is access, and the third one is use. So availability is obviously if there is enough produce um, available uh, for. Individuals to 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 get access can be about uh, financial access, and it can also be about physical access. So, in a in a city which is rel- which is well connected, um, such as Hong Kong, access is a bit of a it's less of an issue. Um, a place like the States, for example, you you would often hear about food deserts where there are just absolutely um, no way for individuals to, to go to shops where there are fresh uh, and healthy food available. So in Hong Kong, it's more a question of financial access. Um, and then use. It's, um, use is more about the knowledge and also about um, having the right equipment and set up to cook uh, a, a nutritious and healthy meal to sustain individuals for an active and healthy life. So food security actually has all these different components and it is applicable to individuals, households, as well as cities and countries. So I think there are all these different levels which we have to work with. And um, Hong Kong, unfortunately, cannot be considered food secure. Um, on not only because of the discrepancy between the rich and poor, i.e. having a substantial amount of people who who are not uh, fully food secure, but it's also because we are so highly dependent on imports. So this on a city level is what makes us vulnerable to um, food price hikes, uh, to uh, disruptions in the logistic food supply chain and all that. So, yeah. Different levels, but also vulnerabilities in each of these.
0: And all those vulnerabilities sort of trickle down to the poorest of the poor because when there's um, a food price hike, then it's too expensive for those who can't afford to, to to buy food and therefore they can't access the food that they need.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, in many of the people that I've met uh, who, who have these... Uh, before COVID, it used to be sort of community dinners in these organizations, um, sort of activity rooms. Um, many of them depend on these programs to have a bit of meat and protein because uh, pork prices have gone up so much. Um, and yeah, and it's just unaffordable for them. So when they eat on their own, um, they call it eating simply, but it's very often um carbohydrates a lot of noodles um with a bit of canned food for flavor but nutritionally i think that would be uh, not ideal
0: yeah um daisy let's talk about the model for breadline um it's interesting you say you partner up with many other um uh, food organizations um why is that
1: um because you know i think there is no there's no need to reinvent the wheel. I mean, there are so many good organizations out there who are already doing great work. And so partnering up with them allows me to learn what they do, and but also see where they are having difficulties. Um, for example, the bread donation program is one which a lot of organizations run, um, but it's really not the core of every uh, uh, food organization organization's business, because bread can't be the sole food to to supply. Um, it's it's not enough. But, but it's an important one, nonetheless, because there's just so many bakeries all around Hong Kong, and they're also willing to donate. So if you think about it, if I can pick up maybe 20 to 30 loaves from one um, shop, and then you put them all together, and by the end of the day, you have Thousands, right? So um, so this is one program that I felt I could contribute. And it was really an interesting model for me because um, you know, food rescue in all different levels is just a logistical nightmare. Um, <laughs> you think about the amount of uh, shops and bakeries, in my case, uh, all across Hong Kong, and they all close within maybe two and two and a half hour window. So you have two and a half hours to go across town to collect all the surplus food, right? right, Between eight Um, to nine
0: o'clock, well, eight to ten o'clock is when they sort of all close.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you know, excess is is also the leftovers. Is at the end of the day, so usually that's when um, shops donate. How so? How do you send uh, people to go to the right place to be at the right place at the right time to collect? Um, and in addition to that, you don't really know how much there is available until close to close to um, the end of the day, because, you know, the the availabilities fluctuate. So it's really a logistical nightmare for um, food rescue operators. And so I thought Breadline um, being a web application was a really interesting way of using digital tools to help volunteers Be at the right right place at the right time. Um, For me, it is a model which I call um, and and don't tune out collective intelligence. And this is (laughs) I love it, catchy. Yeah, and, and it's catchy because it's, it's, it stands in opposition to AI, which everyone's sort of super crazy about. Um, and to my mind, AI is all about making computers smarter, whereas collective intelligence is making humans smarter by using um, technology, right? So I, I try to use technology to enable better decision making, um, but the decision making is always uh, with, with the individual. Um, and not not based on some algorithm. Um, so it's the idea that if I provide real time information to volunteers, they would be able to make the decision to go to where there is most bread and collect the most. Um, and so this has proven to be uh, really effective. We have improved volunteer efficiency Um many times and so during COVID we were able to continue operation with lesser number of people but yet we are still collecting uh, around just under a thousand every Friday.
0: Wow that's amazing and so how does it work? We can download the app and we can all be volunteers and if there's a nearby bakery that's a part of Breadline program, talk us through how it works.
1: Um, So it's it's a web application, so it's not an app just yet. Um, it's a website, basically. So you go to breadline.hkfoodworks.com, and you simply sign up as a volunteer. We run every Friday, and where there are available uh, bakeries for pickup, the, there's a little pin on a map. So you can just click on that. You claim it as your run, and this is the important bit: you really have to claim it. Otherwise, um, we don't want someone else this. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, you claim the run and then that that run is yours. Now, on the day itself, just one hour before the shops close, the system will be updated to show you the real time figures of approximately how much bread there is left over in the shop. So if it's reporting under 10 loaves and then maybe another shop nearby is reporting 30, Loads, you might make the decision to go to the other one instead, and so again you claim that run, and then you go and collect it, and you and that's it. We have collection points which are indicated on the website, and we will have volunteers, and I usually will also be there to uh, to bring the bread then to the beneficiary organisations.
0: Wonderful. Well, you never know. Maybe there's some listeners listening right now who can you know make it into a nap free. We're calling for, for, for an appeal out there and we can all download it. Um, yes, please help. <laughs> um, what were some sort of challenges that you faced when you were setting up Breadline? I know at the moment it's it's not a registered charity just yet. Uh, will mm. you be applying mm. for, for charity status and what other challenges does that bring?
1: um so charity is something. It's it's not a, a legal term. Um, I think section eighty eight oh, is 88, the, that's right, yeah. the 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 term whereby you know yeah um, charities apply for to uh, um, to operate for, to operate and for tax exemption purposes. Um, Redline really came out of my research. So for, I've been operating under the research umbrella for a very long time. Um, but the volunteers and people who have come on board to help me develop the platform has been just so, so enthusiastic and um, and really given me the drive, but also the pressure to make it work, you know. And so that's why it's really, it's continually operating and we've been running it nonstop every Friday for about a year now. And um, And so, yeah, the next step would be hopefully to get a little bit more funding to develop this into an app. And then to also uh, to incorporate it into into a charity. But before then, I think we can still continue doing the work that we do, and 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 continually improve on on um, on the interface on the on the design features.
0: Yeah, um, Daisy. Let's talk a little bit more about the special Chinese New Year food drive that will be happening um, on the twelfth and the thirteenth of February. Tell us more about that.
1: Right, so um, we have noticed that during uh, the holiday season and the festive season that a lot of uh, charities and local organizations close and for good reason because they've been working non-stop weekends, evenings and all this and their staff needs a little break as well. Um, So for Breadline, our volunteers uh, have been asking if we would continue to pick up bread uh, around Chinese New Year. So Um, So under immense pressure from the volunteers. they're like we should we should we have to and i'm like yes yes we should and then we should also perhaps um maybe do a do a little extra because it's the festive season so in addition to uh distributing the bread that we collect on the friday we are also calling for fresh fruit and vegetables um and some healthy and festive snacks so that we could take and bring to uh the people in need um so this is in a way uh we're stepping up but we're also stepping in just for the the holiday season um, to bring the homeless uh, some some snack, uh, healthy and, and festive snack packages. And we chose fruit and veg because I know that a lot of larger organizations out there are doing calls for um, heavier essentials like rice and pasta and spices, uh, clothes, and all this. And, and I think hand this, warmers, the and veg is I saw OneDrive
0: asking for hand warmers as well and hats.
1: Yeah hat yes yes this winter has been absolutely brutal um and so yeah hand warmers um face masks sanitizers and hats these are all uh, sort of welcome um and yeah we're going to do like little packages and bring them uh and deliver them to uh to the streets on the 13th so um on breadline on facebook's breadline i have put down some of the details we'll be doing the collection on the evening of the 12th and also uh, during the day on the 13th and we will be collecting them in a place in shangwan so hopefully that will be quite convenient for people to come and drop off stuff and um, we'll have our redline volunteers to bring them out
0: yeah Um, who are the people in need then who are the people you'll be distributing uh, these uh, fruit and vegetables to
1: So on the 13th, we will be doing uh, something similar to what Impact Hong Kong does on the Kindness Walks. So um, we will be going out to the streets where we know there are uh, generally street sleepers and homeless people. And we will be distributing these fresh fruit and vegetables uh, to them together with the bread. So that's why we are also asking for ready to eat items with a little pack of hand wipes so that they could consume them immediately in the streets. in parallel, I'm also uh, partnering up with um, um, with Tegan's uh, organisation, uh, Grassroots. Yeah, grassroots. Awesome. <laughs> to uh, yeah, yeah, and um, and also with um, Sadie's Hong Kong Bakers, and we are going to bring uh, some homemade uh, bread to Refugee Union. And there they serve, the Refugee Union serves um, refugees and their families. And so there we will be asking a little bit more for essentials um, such as spices, um, some clothes, but also uh, some old phones or perhaps old computers to allow them to connect with uh, their families uh, um, abroad. Um, Again, this will be something that we will uh, post with the details on on our facebook page
0: the most important question is will sadie be baking scones
1: apparently yes (laughs) there is talk of cream teas there is talk of cream teas, (laughs) and so i'm hopeful i'm hoping that sadie will be making those scones um but yeah i mean it's just wonderful you know like i the way that i have met these people sadie i didn't know her until i was on radio and this talking is about who's a radio on this pre- presenter that's right who makes
0: documentary precisely yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah and on your show talking about breadline and collecting surplus food for the needy and then all these people all these wonderful goodwill just pours in um emailing me calling me and then saying hey i would like to do this i can do this and so i think this really is it's a form of um you know When the sum becomes larger than its parts, you know, everyone does a little bit. And I think this is how I see um, uh, sort of a decentralized or maybe how each individual uh, could could help. You know, you 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 take climate change, you take food system, you take these huge questions of the world and you think, well, there's nothing I can do about it. But if everybody does their
0: part, then it would come
1: good. Yeah, and you change one community at a time. Um, you talk about making one small change. You get one neighbour to come bake with you. You get one person whom you've spoken to to come volunteer and collect bread with you. Um, and that's how all these wonderful projects have grown. So, yeah, I think there's still a lot of goodwill out there and precisely because um, I think the world is is, is becoming... Uh, it's, you know, so many people are worried about global politics, local politics. And this is a really good way, I think, um, both in terms of doing something, but also in terms of maintaining well-being, mentally and physically, because you know that there is still so much good out there. Absolutely. Um, Daisy, I I know we said if if we have
0: time, we'll get to this question. And and we do have time. We have about five minutes left. Um, Back with your um, academic hat. Um, I I know you're familiar with a lot of different food indexes around the world. And one that I was looking at uh, this morning was the Nomura Food Vulnerability Index, which I know you're also familiar with. And what's shocking is that Hong Kong is really ranked... Amongst places like the Philippines and, and Bangladesh and, and Pakistan, in terms of being vulnerable, um, it, it, that's quite shocking. I mean, I, I'd never come across statistics like that. What's your interpretation of, of, of this?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because we would like to compare ourselves with the Londons and the New Yorks of the world um, and we rarely put ourselves alongside, um, yeah. Lesser developed in, economic countries, yeah. Correct. And so that is, I think, on a city level where we really need to address and think about food security, not just in terms of the food insecure, but really you and I and everyone sort of listening on the program, it touches the rich and the poor because Hong Kong's food system, um, it's very much dependent on imports. Over 95% of the food that we eat come from abroad. And this abroad is not just one particular place. It's all over the world. They're interconnected. The food supply chain and the logistics uh, chain is very, very complex add to that you have speculation on commodity and food prices so in effect we are very exposed to any uh, fluctuations happening in the food supply chain that could include availability so in terms of production you know whether it is because of climate change or locust plague or you know um any of those floods or drought or um, just simple soil erosion production is going to be affected, and so when that happens, maybe we can source from another place. But at some point, this is going to—it's um, it's going to that that effect is going to be reflected in the price change, and then after the prices, even sometimes I think even with money, when the money can't solve the problem, that becomes a real real issue. Um, logistics we have already experienced it Uh, i remember same time last year the supermarket shelves have been emptied because people are panic buying and while panic buying is something that is uh, not systemic in that sense um, but it reflects how we cannot all suddenly start shifting our consumption patterns and expect the chain to continue to be able to continually supply that um, and so even now with the global logistics systems being so much under pressure um, at some point and already i think we're seeing um price increase because just simply businesses are paying 30 percent more just to fly into hong kong um, so In this sense, I think we need to diversify. Um, I think our main vulnerability is the over-dependent imports. So we do need to diversify where we get our food from. And once it's in the city, then we can talk about financial access. And I also, of course, have a lot to say about that. Um, But in terms of diversifying where we source our food, um, I think we need to think about more regional and more local. Right, shorter supply chains so that we are able to react more um more in a more agile way. It you know, like I think I, I learned this from Breadline because, you know, if people can react very quickly, they're able to respond to changes in the environment and they can adapt much more quickly. Whereas if everything is sort of centralized in one place, we have to kind of go there and then like distribute and then change. Um our, our routes or our plans of actions, that's inevitably going to take more time. So, yeah, quick, agile response with
0: shorter supply chains. Daisy, always such a pleasure to to have you share with our listeners. Remind our listeners once again, what's the website and uh, the social media for Breadline and Foodworks?
1: Um, so please come and like us on Facebook. Uh, that is simply Breadline. And our website is hkfoodworks.com. Excellent. Thank you
0: so much uh, for your time this afternoon. And that's Daisy, the founder of Breadline and Hong Kong Foodworks and also an assistant professor from the Baptist University of Hong Kong. Thank you so much for your time, Daisy.